0: I wanted to present to you today a presentation, and that presentation actually focuses on one of the most important teams in the world. And no, I'm not talking about the Cavaliers, nor am I talking about Golden State, or definitely not the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) But this team is a very important team. As a matter of fact, this particular team has the capability and potential of affecting world conditions, cultures. It's a team that does, in fact, impact many, many conditions we find ourselves surrounded by. And as a matter of fact, some of you, some of you are already on that team. That's right. You're already on that team. It's a great team. You know what team I'm talking about? Your mind's clicking. Anybody have an idea? Christianity. Christianity, That's that's good. But no, I'm not talking about Christianity. But I am talking about Christianity because we're going to be talking about the Bible. So in many respects, I guess, by extension, indirectly, we will be talking about Christianity. Very good. But specifically, I'm talking about marriage. I want to talk about marriage today. I want to drive some points home and review some what I would call remodeling tips. If you want a title for uh, this particular presentation you can title it Marriage Remodeling Tips because it's important that we do take the time to think about our marriages because marriage is a team. I don't know if you ever thought about marriage as a team, but it is a team. I mean what is a team? A team is basically a group of people that work for a common cause for the greater benefit of the whole. Now, I'm not advocating having group husbands and group wives. I'm not not advocating that, although in the the day and age that we're living in, it may come to that, I don't know. (laughs) But the reality of it is, is that obviously through marriage you have children, and children add to the group. (laughs) You have one children, now you've got three, because you had a husband and a wife. And by the way, I'm working off the premise that we're talking about heterosexual relationships. Or you have four, you know, two children. Or five, three children. Or like perhaps the Amish on an average, they can have anywhere from three to as many as seven or eight per family. So there you go. You've got about, you know, you could have as many as maybe ten people part of that group, part of that team, who all work for a common cause for the benefit of the greater whole. So that's important. It is very important. But sadly and unfortunately, and here's the problem, Many of us in marriage forget about the very fundamental, and I mean they are very fundamental terms with respect to having successful marriages, and they are fundamental, but we tend to forget about them. We tend to forget about them. But the fact of it is, is that we do indeed have some very fundamental underscoring principles that if we keep in mind, to feed and nurture, we'll all be better off in our marriages. And they're based off of four primary Greek words. phileo, Friendship. Friendship. Your marriage is should be friendship, agape, sacrificial care, selflessness. Even when it's not convenient for you, being willing to put yourself out there for the family. Whether you're the female, whether you're the male, whether you're the child for mom and dad. Eros, Mm, sexual care, erotic. That's part of it. And, of course, pistilio, and that is commitment. Committed, being committed, because that's the adhesion that holds the friendship and holds the selfless love and the eros, or the sexual care, For each other. That's important. These are very fundamental, very, very fundamental things. Turn with me over here to 1 Peter for a moment. The Apostle touches on this in passing as he proceeds to talk about Christian attributes. And we're going to extrapolate some of these Christian attributes, but setting it up with what the Apostle addresses specifically in verse 7 of chapter 3 of the first book of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor, giving dignity, giving value to your wife. He's addressing, in this particular case, the husbands unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, that, that's not a criticism. That's just a fact of life. Men, generally, by species, by virtue of the species of the male, is the stronger of the two. That's just life. It's not meant to be a criticism in any way, shape, or form to the ladies. Although some of the ladies today, I've I've seen them on TV wrestling and boxing, and lifting weights, may even in some cases be stronger than a guy. But the reality of it is, the design, the original intent was that not as a criticism but just as an observation of life itself that they are uh, a bit uh, less strong than the male species and as being heirs together now here's the equalizer even though one may be physically weaker than the other does not give any disrespect or uh, what you could say delegitimizes or devalues their value because e- speaking they are both heirs to eternal life whether female or male as the Apostle Peter states here they are heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered now here's what I want to extrapolate let's stay in context with marriage he goes on here and he says now finally Peter does be you all one mind having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful. That doesn't mean to be pitiful, pit, you know, pitying each other. No, 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 It means to be compassionate. It means to be sensitive. It means to be feeling for others, for others. And so he says here, be, compa- uh, be compassionate. I'll use the word compassionate instead of pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing, be a blessing to one another, because you yourself are recipients of blessings. So with the fact that you are a recipient of God's blessings, give those blessings back out to your children, to your mates, to whomever but be a blessing since you're a recipient of blessings. That's what Peter is saying. In other words, be positive about your life and be positive about all of these things that you find yourself involved with, knowing that you are thereunto. This is verse 9, chapter 3, 1 Peter, called that you should inherit a blessing. For verse 10 now, for he that will love life and sees good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they may speak no guile. Let him eschew, that is to avoid, to, to shun evil, do good. Let him seek peace, pursue it. You should seek peace in your families. Seek peace among each other. Seek peace among the children. Try to bring them together and around. Be at peace, not at odds with one another in working toward the benefit of the greater whole. Keep that in mind. It's always for the benefit of the greater whole. What's the greater whole? Anything outside of you. Even if it's only your husband or your wife. Maybe you don't have any children. Bottom line is, it's outside of you. The greater whole is you and whomever else in your mate, uh, as your mate. We read here for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous his ears are his ears I'm sorry are open unto their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil verse 13 and who is he that will follow harm if you be followers of that which is good so what we're saying here is marriage is an institution that God has installed God has erected God has designed God has constructed and for the reason being to be a mutual beneficial environment so that you and I can maximize what we have to offer to humanity. In other words, our marriages ought to be reinforcing to us to maximize our greatest skills as individuals within the core of the marriage. The marriage should not be counterproductive and causing us to recoil, to be held down, to be restrained, or to not be able to achieve our maximum benefit for, again, I'm going to keep repeating myself, for the greater whole. It's important that we understand that. Because it is a, should be, mutual beneficial relationship uh, that all of us are indeed enjoying, or at least we should be enjoying. However, (laughs) however, unfortunately, there are no guarantees, are there? No guarantees that our marriages will work out. Furthermore, there are no guarantees that even if you being in the church are in the church, and both are in the church, both share the same faith, there's still no guarantees that your marriage will be successful. Now, why is that? Why no guarantees to avoid the D word divorce well frankly there's a major difference a major key that makes the difference now there is an advantage and don't get me wrong before I answer that question that I just posed here there is an advantage of sharing one's faith and working together in that common faith because statistics prove that you can reduce your chances by as little as twenty-five to fifty percent of divorce. You can reduce the chances of divorce if indeed you do share a common faith in that regard by twenty-five to fifty percent. But again, There is still no guarantee of being able to take advantage of that advantage. Why? Because we don't work at it. We don't work at it. We get lazy. We get complacent. Sometimes we don't focus on, I'm going to say it again, the greater whole. Where's our focus? On me. On me. That's right. It's me. And this marriage is about me. (laughs) see, That's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. We've got to keep in mind we are married for the sake of the benefit of, I'm going to say it again, the greater whole. W-H-O-L-E. That's important for us to grasp in terms of our concept because it is sad that we do miss taking advantage of this 25 to 50% reduction of potential of experiencing divorce if we would only stay active and participate in the, in the uh, uh, activity of and in the benefit of our marriages because, you see, we got to look at marriages as an investment. If you don't make deposits into the investment, you reduce your yield. You can't keep just taking, you see. You can't just keep taking from it without depositing something back in it. You must be vested if indeed the greater whole is going to be healthy and operate beneficially for maximizing those involved. And that includes the children, by the way, as well. Because if mom and dad are at odds with one another, the children also suffer. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a natural spin off. It's it's collateral damage, as they say. Uh, When that happens and mom and dad aren't getting along, the children obviously pick up on that and consequently uh, become collateral damage, as I say. A well oiled team, a well healthy, practicing team, is going to feed each other emotionally, they're going to feed each other mentally. They're going to nurture each other physically. And that doesn't only mean sex. That means taking care of one another when you're sick. That means when one is down, the other one picks up the slack. You took a vow, for better or worse, in health or not. So we have an institution that all of us are bound to for the sake of God's glory because God knew that this is what Works for maximizing my human family's potential because out of that potential comes children and the procreation of ongoing generations for the benefit of God's glory. Because isn't that really the ultimate reason for families? Does not families reflect the relationship of God in His church as He impregnates? Christians to bring forth born-again Christians, so the family impregnates uh, women to bring forth children, and the reproductive physical, on the physical level, reflects the spiritual reproductive process. Does not, isn't that what it's all about? Because that's the bigger imagery that we who are married, and those of you considering to be married, to enter into, because that's what and why marriage is a holy matrimonial institution, ordained of God, not man ordained of God. So we need to invest in our marriages and we need to certainly uh, understand that if indeed we are going to have the maximum benefit of our relationships, then we need to focus on being oriented toward the benefit of the greater whole. I keep repeating myself, but I'm, I'm purposely doing that because I want to hammer this home so that we get this understanding that in a relationship with an individual, husband and wife, and if children should come along and you should be so blessed, they too included in the group, in the team, they're the team, we work as a team. We work for the greatest benefit of each other. And so I want to review. I want to review a few keys Tips for remodeling some of our, our marriages for the benefit of perhaps uh, improving our situations, because regardless of whether or not, regardless of whether or not your mate shares your faith or not, if you apply these particular tips, and more importantly, sustain. Sustain. Got to keep maintaining it. You see, because as time goes on, being human, you know it as well as I do, I'm the same way, time seems to erode our drive, our motivation, and we're not as compelled as we were when we were in the honeymoon stage when we were dating. I mean, we were hot, you know. (laughs) But, But in all due respect, after the Dating is over, and the marriage settles in, and the honeymoon is over, and things are cooled off, and now we're down and settling into the saddle for the long run because marriage is not a sprint. Oh, no. Those of us who have been married for a few years understand very well it is a long over the country, uh, cross country race in that respect. It's not a sprint doesn't get by uh, just by exercising, uh, you know, power strength, so to speak. So we need to sustain, apply and sustain these tips. So I want to share some of these tips with you. Staying in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to go back to that here in a moment. But tip number one, understand both of you are, now this may seem a bit disjointed, but I want you to understand this. Both of, uh, we need to understand that both of us Whether we are husband or wife, both of us are sinners. Neither one is better than the other. We're all sinners. And therefore, we need to be compassionate in our understanding toward each other. Now, what does Peter say about this? Well, look at this. Over here in verse uh, 8 of chapter 3, we're still back there. I'm going to go back now. I want to reread this because we read 7 through 13. I want to go back to verse 8, chapter 3, 1 Peter. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another. And I'm extrapolating this, though Peter is expanded now contextually, and I understand that contextually he's talking to all Christians, but that does not dismiss the fact that it does not apply to married couples. So all I'm saying is I want to focus on the nuance of how it applies in today's discussion to the marriage relationship. And so it applies. And he says here very clearly, finally, Be you all of uh, one mind, having compassion, one of another. Love as brethren. Be compassionate. Be courteous. You need to be courteous. You need to be considerate. You need to be compassionate. You you need to be, in all these respects, thinking of the greater whole, of, of trying to be kind to one another, thinking about, you know what, I misunderstood you. Okay, so what did I misunderstand? Let's talk through this and try to talk through this. Or I'm not hearing you right. Did you mean this? And maybe rephrase it. But it's important, very important, brethren, that we understand that we need to focus on the positive and keep in mind on how it was, keep this in mind, how it was when you dated. In other words, remember your beginnings. If you ever get confused, remember how it was when you were dating. What was that posture? What was that position? You were putting your best foot forward, weren't you? You were trying to impress. You were trying to ingratiate. You were trying to make points so that he or she would like you. And that's important for all of us to to be able to uh, keep in mind. So point being is, when was the last time you bought her flowers? When was the last time you showed him respect? How about a compliment? When was the last time you complimented your wife or your husband? These are all simple things uh, that sometimes over time we allow it to erode us away from the common courtesies that all of us deserve, that all of us deserve. And from time to time, because we are with each other more than any other human being as we settle into our marriages, we find ourselves taking each other for granted. And the familiarity, sadly, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's unfortunate That's unfortunate, especially when you understand God created the institution of marriage so that we as human beings could be able to maximize our gifts, our skills as humans for the greater whole. The children and, of course, the mates that are involved in this. So, You reap what you sow. No planting, no crops. If you don't take care of and weed and communicate to the emotional, mental, physical, and and if you should be so blessed, spiritual needs of each other, if you don't do that, you're going to miss the mark, and you won't be able to maximize your mutual benefit. Two, treat each other with honor and respect. Number two, treat each other with honor and respect. Now, if you both understand you're sinners and you both have that in common, then neither one is over the other in that respect, then it should be easy to be able to treat each other compassionately and to treat each other kindly, courteously, considerately. And, of course, that runs... Uh, and connects right up with honor and respect. Notice what Peter says over here in Second Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter two, First Peter, chapter two, and verse seventeen. Just on the other column in my Bible, it says here, honor all, honor all in this uh, respect here, or esteem all. The translators inserted men. I left it out purposely because it applies to everybody. It applies to all. It even applies to people outside the family. It applies to people at work, friends outside of your closed circle, people you might meet in the grocery store. Honor all. That's what uh, Peter says here. Now, going back to verse 7 of chapter 3, staying right on the same page here on the other column in my Bible, he says in verse 7, and I want to reread now verse 7, "...likewise, you husbands, dwell with them uh, according to knowledge giving honor, honor to the wife. So it's important. It's important that we do honor and respect each other, and certainly that is done very simply by remaining sensitive to each other. Go over here with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13, this is, many of us know it as the love chapter. Being sensitive to each other's needs is a very critical key in being able to maintain honor and respect and operating in a courteous, considerate fashion. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, we read in verse 4, and I, I'm just going to key in on uh, just a few. I, we're going to come back on this, but I'm going to pick this section of the, of the Scriptures apart a little bit as we apply them step by step. And again, we're under point 2, treating each other with honor and respect, and that is achieved by maintaining a certain level of sensitivity toward one another. And how do you do that? Well, right here, charity, agape, Sacrificial, selfless love suffers all. For better or worse, suffers all. He goes on here in verse 5, and he says, uh, is not easily provoked, is not easily provoked. And in verse 7, Bears all things? I mean, all things? (laughs) Yes, it bears all things. The fundamental terms that marriage is based on is what? Friendship, sacrificial, selfless love, sexual care, and the adhesion that makes all that work? Commitment, the C word. (laughs) The C word Commitment Never giving up That's the point That it holds it all together That holds the friendship together That holds the agape together That holds the, the sexual care together Because it's all held together By commitment Commitment So how does that happen? Well, in other words, here, what we're reading, how do we maintain a certain sensitivity with each other? We must be patient. We've got to be patient. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, he said, possess your soul in patience. I know all of us. I mean, we reach our limit. I mean, it's like the teapot getting to the boiling point and we're about to whistle You know, the steam is about to go through the cap and whistle, you know how the teapot does, and we reach our, as they would say, proverbial limit. We can't handle any more burden, any more weight. I mean, we are about to receive the the proverbial stick that breaks the camel's back. But guess what? Take a deep breath. Possess your soul in patience. Ratchet it down. This, too, will pass. Keep it all in perspective for the greater whole. For the greater whole. And what is the greater whole? Well, let's take it another step. Let's ratchet it up another step. What's the greater whole? Is it the happiness of your marriage and the environment of peace and well-being in your family? Absolutely. But what is beyond that? Spirit life, eternal life. That's the greater whole. That is the maximus of what you're doing, what you're doing for. That's why you throttle back the steam in the teapot. That's why you take the deep breath and exhale and possess your soul in patience. For the sake of the children? Yes. For the sake of your mate? Yes. But why else? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Because the bottom line is, at the end of the day, what underscores all that we do as Christians, is it not for God's glory? Is it not because we represent God in persona? In, and in our personalities and everywhere we go, the expression of our personalities should be framed in the reflection of Christ in us. That's what the Days of Unleavened Bread teach us, do they not? You ingest unleavened bread. Why? You're ingesting Christ in you. Christ crucified the broken body of Christ, a physical reminder of a spiritualized truth, that you are ingesting Christ through your mind. Reading the word and bringing it to fruition from this, from thoughts, to action. How? Through application. We already talked about that under point one. Through application and sustaining the application. Day in and day out, over and over, trudging it and dealing with all of the things that we find ourselves confronting, yet nevertheless sustaining it maintaining it in spite of the storms in our lives. Point three, big one. This is a big one. Two words. Be forgiving. Be forgiving. Hebrews chapter 12. Very important scriptures to keep in mind here, brethren. Hebrews chapter 12. Because we all have to recognize arguments are going to occur. We are going to have disagreements. Issues will be resolved when our concern, remember, when our concern about the team is greater than who's right about the issue. Hebrews chapter 12. Otherwise, we run this risk. And in verse 14, follow peace with all. I'm going to leave out men. That was inserted by the translators. Follow peace with all. That's everybody, but in our context today, we're talking about marriage. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail or fall, you could say fall, from the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, and that means, of course, a transgressor, a betrayer, as Esau, the example, who sold for his birthright one morsel of food for his birthright. You talk about losing perspective. You're that hungry that you would give up your relationship with God? Easy to say, perhaps, looking at it from the outside in, I'm not Esau, I wasn't hungry, I, didn't, I wasn't there to witness all of the tension, pressure and things that compelled him to give up that birthright. But the reality of it is, what the writer here in Hebrews is saying, keep it in perspective. If you forget the perspective, tonight go outside and look at the stars, look at the moon, those are yours, they're mine. We're co-heirs with Christ. The universe is ours to have. So I always tell people, if I have a chance to counsel with them, that if you really get upset at your mate, go outside and count to ten while you're looking up at the stars. And get that in perspective and then go back and address this itsy-bitsy, weeny-teeny little problem. Now, it may seem big because you're on ground level and you're in the timeline, as we video guys would say. (laughs) But the reality of it is, compared to the big picture and the glory of God and what you are a part of in this working of God reproducing himself, it is truly, no matter how big you may think it is, and it's only as big as you allow it to be, frankly. We control how big our problems are by up here, how we think them. If we think our problems are small, even when they're big, guess what? We can have no legs and still enter into marathons. We can still play the pianos with our toes. Did you ever see some of these people? have had their legs blown off who've been disabled, and I think to myself, how did that guy ever get his persona, his attitude, up to the point where he's participating in a 25-mile race and the guy's got no legs? Wow! That is PMA. You know what PMA is? Positive Mental Attitude. So, as they would say, some of us, we really do need to suck it up because if we don't, (laughs) if we don't, and we allow a root of bitterness to settle in, the writer says, that's equivalent, spiritually speaking, the allegory is, figuratively, it's the same thing as allowing yourself to be like Esau who sold his birthright for one morsel of food. So he's appealing, the writer is, of Hebrews, to say, don't do that. Don't let bitterness, because bitterness can do that. Bitterness can steal, pull the rug right out from under you. It can steal your birthright away. He goes on here and he says, For you know, verse 17, how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, remember? He went back and he said, Where's my blessing? After Jacob took it from him. Where's my blessing? And, uh, Old, uh, uh, the, the uh, father said, well, I'll give you one, but uh, the other one got it. Jacob, Jacob got it. And so as a result, he says here, he found no place of repentance or he found no way to change his mind about the position he took. We must remain malleable, brethren. We must always remain flexible. We must always remain steerable, teachable, meek enough to allow for a transformation to occur so that our minds can change when in fact and indeed that it does necessitate and or justify uh, a change in one's life. Always keep that in mind because that's very, very important because it is important that we resolve the issues, not allowing these issues to become greater than what they really are. And children, as great as children are, and children are great, (laughs) children are great, they can bring tension into the family. They can cause, they can cause conflict in the team. Because the children are new members, they're new teammates, they don't understand the rules. As a matter of fact, they're rookies in the most rookie sense <laughs> because they've got to be taught and brought up to speed and they can't be brought up to speed until they gain some age because they're coming up from little on, you know. And so what does that mean? You as a parent have to be sensitive to their needs. How do we be sensitive to their needs? Patience. That's what we said. Remember? Remember? Suffer all things. You did what? Look what you did. You brought all this mud in the house. You know, sadly, some children get beat. Because why? The family's dysfunctional. The parent loses the temper, and they grab the kid. They throw him against the wall. These things happen. These things happen in the world that we live in. That wouldn't happen if we're sensitive, understanding the teammate doesn't understand that he just brought in the dog, the mud, and all of the birds that were following into the house. They don't understand that. So guess what? Take a deep breath, be patient, and recognize the sensitivity that you should have toward the source that's bringing all these things in. And deal with it. Just deal with it. That's what we've got to do. Easier said than done, but the point of it is number three, be forgiving. Number four, be helpful and positively reinforcing. We're in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go back there to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. As we were before, and in verse four, charity suffers long. We read that, is kind. Charity does not envy. Charity or agape, this selfless, sacrificial love, vaunts not itself, it's not puffed up, it does not behave itself unseemly, it does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. In other words, it's constructive. It's constructive, reinforcing, and positive, and does not in any way seek evil its own. Because why? It's not about you anymore. If you want it to be about you, stay single. If you want to enter into a God-constructed institution we call marriage, then be ready to give your life up for, I'm going to say it again, the greater hope the greater whole. We have to be willing and of the sense and of the state of mind to engage in that now new outlook toward life. Why? Because we're bringing in a mate into our world that through the normal processes, if indeed uh, you should be so blessed, can have the potential of bringing forth additional members to the team, children, not husbands and wives, children. <laughs> and so as a result, we've got to be able to absorb those changes and be able to adjust to the new opportunities. Some would like to call problems, but I say opportunities for utilizing what these children bring in in terms of circumstances and situations to add to your growth in dealing with what they expose you to that will try your patience. <laughs> It will try the fabric of your relationship. Yes, children can do that. And certainly we as parents need to expect those things and not be caught blindsided, expecting that our families are going to be all so perfect and our children are going to be just right you know, down the line, walking the narrow straight path line, because it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. So we've got to understand that we've got to be flexible. That's right. We've got to be flexible have to value each other's opinions, talk openly and honestly. And you do that by being helpful and, of course, as I say, this is number four, being helpful and positively reinforcing. Number five, and the last one, I want to share with all of you. And this is important. This is very important. And if indeed, and it doesn't matter if you're married to a Catholic, if you're married to a Baptist, I don't care if you're married to a Pentecostal, a Presbyterian, I don't care if you're married to an agnostic. Now, you may have somewhat of a problem if you're married to an atheist, but I'm not so certain what a Christian would be doing with an atheist. But, putting that to the side, the fact of it is, my point, this next tip will work regardless of whether or not that individual shares your specific Sabbath-keeping Church of God culture belief. Because at the end of the day, what's most important is the benefit of the greater whole. The greater whole. However, obviously, compromises can't be made. That is what you have to work out with if indeed you don't share a common faith. But if you're both Christian, you might even get away with this. this is the next point. If you were married to a Buddhist, you might even be able to get away with this if you were... Married to a Indian uh, Hindu. But here's my point. Number six: make prayer an important part of your team's ritual. And guys, husbands, especially us here in this room, those of you who are watching uh, via the Internet, it's important the men take the opportunity and exercise the leadership. Don't be embarrassed to ask your wife, you know, honey? I'd like to pray. Don't be embarrassed or negligent in saying, children, come on, we're going to go pray. Let's get together here. Bring them all together. Pray over every meal. Take opportunity to pray over a meal, at least, in addition to outside prayers. Don't just think you're going to get away with praying over a meal. Ask your wife, you know, honey, I'd I'd like to pray. Ask your husband. Now, wives, if the husband doesn't do it, if they default to you, then go ahead. And I say default only in the sense that the husband should be taking the lead on this. The husband should be taking the lead. I'm not going to mince any words. But with all that respect, that doesn't dismiss the fact of the woman's responsibility in the relationship that she too also could if indeed she finds that the prayer, the regularity of it in the diet is being neglected and we're getting a little thin because we're not making any deposits go ahead and say, hey, you know what, honey, we haven't prayed a while, why don't we pray today together? Or make it a regular process, a regular habit, and pray in the morning or something, if, you, if indeed you can develop that, uh, all the more power to you. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3 and in verse 7, this becomes important, brethren. I want to share this with you because there is an axiom here with regard to prayer. And I, again, let me emphasize, it doesn't matter whether the individual your mate shares in your exact faith, but if she or he is at least a Christian, there shouldn't be any resistance to doing this. And in all due respect, it's important in some regards because of this very thing that the Apostle Peter points out. And we shouldn't overlook this or just step over it. And notice what Peter says here. Again, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm back on verse 7. I want to just drill down on this scripture here because this scripture is jam-packed with information. It says here, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? Answer, that your prayers be not hindered. That's important. That's an important connection, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, I want to couple this up with an interesting scripture that I think merits our attention. And though I realize the context of Matthew chapter 18 is in a different light, the fact of it is, in the light of the context that we today are talking, adds an element of nuance to this here in Matthew 18 that I think bears all of our attention, it it justifies our attention to understand what Peter's talking about and how Matthew, in saying what he said, though he was talking about a different topic, nevertheless, what Peter says actually nuances itself into here. Follow me through this. Notice, again, I say unto you that if two of you, verse 19, chapter 18, book of Matthew, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And I understand he's talking about church government here. He's talking about ministry. He's talking about individuals agreeing on certain directions and strategies of the church and so forth and the culture of the church. But the fact of it is, and the principle stands That if two of you agree, would you not admit that you're you're stronger together than you are apart? Of course. That's why the Bible says two is a real advantage. Three is even better, it says in the Proverbs. But at any rate, we go on here in verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name... There am I in the midst of them. Could you imagine God not honoring the prayer of a family of four, a family of five, a family of six, praying for a sick member? For instance, like Linda Zelenkiewicz, getting the family all together with the children and say, you know, kids, Linda, she's having some problems. She has cancer. We're all going to get in the front room now. We're going to pray for her. We're going to pray for member X or member Y. We're going to all get together, we're going to lift our voices up to God, and you teach your children about family prayer, selflessness. That's agape. That's agape. Why is it, brethren, that we have the problems that we have today in the world that we have? Because, frankly, we are living in a dysfunctional world. Our families need protection. The best way to protect our families is to have a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. But Daddy, so-and-so doesn't pray like us. Well, they should. They'd be stronger for it. You don't have to criticize them. All you got to do is say, they should. They'd be stronger for it. We're going to pray. That's important, brethren. The world itself, as I say, we live in a very, very sad and brutal world. Many of our problems today are due to, quite frankly, what underscores a lot of the problems today. Why you see what you see out and around us, especially here in North America, is because of the breakdown of the family. Sadly, sadly, you know it as well as I do, people end up being single moms, or single dads. Why? Somebody impregnates some girl and leaves her. She shouldn't have allowed it. She did. Didn't realize at 16 years old he who was 15 or 17 or 18 didn't have the commitment and so now he's gone and she's left with the baby. And now you have children bringing up children. It's sad. It's sad. In addition to the dysfunctionality of other families, where, as I said and I characterized before, how parents sometimes lose their tempers, may even beat the children, may even lock them. Some of the stories you and I hear today, locking your children up in closets, abusive, pedophilia. You go outside of this country into other parts of the world, they sell their children into the sex slave industry. This is the reality that we're living in, brethren. Why the breakdown of the family? How can you ever think of selling your daughter or your son to a sex ring if indeed you understand you're a team? If you understand you are a God-given in a God-ordained institution that invokes responsibility and accountability on all those team members to generate an environment that will maximize their gifts, maximize their talents for the greater hope. It wouldn't happen. We'd have strong families. We'd have healthy kids with solid perspectives and outlooks, aggressive. Attempting to try to improve themselves and make money so that they can give it to others and help others who are less fortunate while they continue on in their success because they were brought up on from a platform that was healthy and strong and reinforcing and encouraging. These are so, so many things we lack in our world today along with, of course, the media's criticism of the family. I mean, today we've got situations where there is so much confusion even about the family. They're redefining the family. Two men and, you know, two women could be husband and wife. How can a two man and two women be a husband and wife? I mean, they can cry, that is the homosexual community, about the fact that, yes, one is the wife, but the fact of it is, no, no, doesn't work that way. They don't have a right to say that. Because why? Because God's already established the rule. A wife is a woman. A husband is a man. A wife is a female. A husband is a male. That's the light. That's that's the rules. Anything outside of those rules, you can say what you want to say, but guess what? You don't own it. You don't own it. And the reason you don't own it is because God has already established it. And he reserves the prerogative. To lay down those laws. Yet, nevertheless, we're confused, and that has added additional problems to the identity crisis that men today suffer from. Dads don't know what their roles are in families, and moms don't know what their roles are in the families. And as a result, because they've lost their tether to the owner's manual on how to identify what dad's role is and how to identify what mom's role is, they're confused, And so now you've got sometimes roles reversed, or as I said, in in worst-case scenarios, two guys shacking up in what they continue to call marriage, which it isn't marriage at all. Again, it's a civil agreement. It's a civil relationship. It's not marriage. They can't own that word. God has already defined what marriage is. They don't make the rules. That is the homosexual community. The rules are already made and already established in that regard. But all this contributes, brethren, very simply to a condition that we see today that is very, very brutal on families. You have to be aggressive. If you're going to preserve and protect your families, you're going to have to truly be proactive and part, be a participant in the exercising of these particular points and even then some. I don't mean to even imply these six points are indeed a panacea to all of our marital issues. They're just six tips that uh, I firmly believe if you were able to apply and sustain, that's the key, and sustain, certainly your marriages, your families, your environments that we all live in as families and marriages would be far better and more suited to produce level-headed, well-balanced young people for future generations. So those of you who are considering on being married... Take it slow, choose your mates wisely, choose your mates wisely, and understand that this is, that is marriage, picking your, your mate to spend the rest of your life with, is the second most important decision next to baptism. Next to baptism that you will make in your life. It's more important than deciding on what career you're going to go into. It's more important than deciding on where you want to live, in part of the country, uh, whatever country. It's more important than deciding on buying a car or a house. It is the second most important decision you will ever make next to baptism. That is picking your mate. So, take your time. What do we say? Be patient. Don't rush into it, those of you who are not married. Take it step at a time. Be prudent in all of your things. And remember, our marriages, keep them well and nurtured and for the sake, that is, for future generations. That's why we need to keep them uh, well and nurtured in so many regards. And why is that so important? Because, frankly, as the family goes, you've heard this before, so goes the nation.